Well, this morning, uh, in your program is this uh, insert that says Vision Next at the top. What is Vision Next? If you weren't here last week, you didn't hear the introduction to this, but Vision Next is a three-year intentional generosity initiative, a journey of faith for us as a whole church that in time will enable us to acquire either a building that we can renovate to fulfill our mission in this community uh, or land on which we can build for the future. And, and what I want to just say to you about Vision Next, and you can, read, you can read the insert on your own, but what I want you to understand this morning is that Vision Next is really more about people raising than it is about fundraising. And what do I mean by that? Well, when, when we see what God will do, when your children see what God will do, uh, when the community sees what God will do as we give generously and sacrificially over and above our regular giving, we will be amazed at him. And, and our faith will grow. And that's going to be true whether you're a child participating in the campaign, which children can do. We want to encourage that at their level, according to their ability, uh, or a teenager or an adult. Everyone can have a part in this initiative. Everyone can make a contribution uh, to our future. And, and so it's really about people raising than, than it is fundraising because we grow through the process. God matures us uh, through sacrifice. And then secondly, sacrifice is really, as we saw last week, about giving something we love, giving up something we love in order to gain something we love even more. That, that's the essence of sacrifice. Giving up that which is temporal for that which is eternal, giving up something of, that we love in order to gain, gain something we love even more. And then, as we'll, we're going to see as we move forward, sacrifice, uh, sacrifice is not so much about a transaction as it is about a transformation of our hearts and our lives as, as we learn to trust him more with our finances and our possessions and find him faithful to all of his promises. Last week we were in Joshua 3 verses 1 through 5 and, and we saw in those verses that, that the Israelites came at last to the banks of the river Jordan after over 40 years of being a migratory people, uh, just laps and laps around Mount Sinai, in essence, for over 40 years. And, and they arrived now at the banks of the Jordan. Uh, they camped there for three days. Um, the day that they're, before they're to cross over uh, the river, Joshua, who is the new leader of Israel, after the death of Moses, uh, prepared the Israelites with three commands that are found there in verses one through five. A small team of priests were to take up the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. The Ark was the symbol of the presence and the power of God among the people. And the people were to see the Ark and they were to follow the Ark as soon as it set out. And they needed to have, therefore, an attitude of responsiveness to the leadership of Joshua and his officers, but more basically to God's leadership by means of the ark. God is not in the box. Please understand that. Uh, the God of, of all of the earth, the God of the universe, the sovereign creator of the universe is not God in a box. The box is the symbol of his presence and power. 
Not the reality, but as they saw the ark moving, they knew that God was involved. So they had to have that attitude of responsiveness to Joshua's leadership, to to the leadership of the officers of Israel, but more basically to God's leadership by means of the ark. And they had to keep their eyes on him. They had to be responsive to move when he moved. Secondly, they were to keep a distance between themselves and the ark, it says. Uh, There needed to be an attitude of reverence toward God and his holiness. And then third, they were to consecrate themselves, to set themselves apart for God's purposes. Uh, So there was some, some ceremonial activity, some things that were ritual to that process of consecration. But as we saw, it also involves that preparation of our hearts as we ask God to search us and to cleanse us and to know us and to, and to show us those areas where we need to confess and repent of sin. And, and so Israel's experience of the wonders uh, would result from their readiness to allow God to work in his way and by his power. And in the same way, the success, I believe, of Vision Next, pursuing God's vision for what lies ahead, um, following God from where we are to where, we, to where we've never been will depend entirely, I really believe this, will we'll depend entirely on our responsiveness to God's leadership, our reverence for God's holiness, and our readiness to be used, body and soul, for God's purposes. I hope that you believe that as well. We're in, in Joshua 3 again today, verses 6 through 17, and would you stand with me? And let's read our scripture together. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, You shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. 
This is God's word. You may be seated. For the Israelites that day, the Jordan was the river of impossibility. The river of impossibility. They had arrived in the spring of the year when the spring rains and and the melting snow from Mount Hermon in the north turned the river Jordan into a muddy torrent, as we saw last week, up possibly to two miles wide, according to geologists. No one, neither Joshua nor the priests nor the people, had any idea how they would get across or what God was about to do. There was a great big question mark hanging over the camp of Israel. In verses 6 to 8, God gives a command. He said, this is where the priests will go. Verses 6 through 8, let me just read these for us again. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Let's project ourselves for the moment into the mindset of the Levitical priests who had been appointed that day to carry the Ark of the Covenant before the people. They had to have been wondering what was up. So when the command was given to take up the Ark, they they were probably fine with that. They They were probably cool with that. But there was still no indication of how the people would cross over the river. Imagine then what what might have been going on in their minds when they were given the command to go and stand in that river, that big, swift, deep, muddy river at flood stage with a box on their shoulders weighing 200 to 300 pounds. And yet Joshua commanded it, and so they did it. Joshua commanded it, and so they did it. Over 40 years earlier, the Israelites, having just come out of Egypt, stood on the shore of the Red Sea. On one side is the Red Sea, the direction they're facing, and as they looked over their shoulders and as they could hear, the entire Egyptian army, the army led by the Pharaoh who had changed his mind, was bearing down on them. The only human imagining at that point is we're going to be driven into the sea. No indication from God about whether he was going to act, whether that would be the place they died, whether they would get across the Red Sea, let alone how. And in the same way that God elevated Moses that day through the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea, now here at the Jordan River, he would similarly exalt Joshua as Israel's new leader. There's a couple leadership lessons here that I don't want to pass by. 
First is this, that the role of a spiritual leader is to focus the eyes of God's people on his presence with them and his power that is for them. The role of a spiritual leader is to focus the eyes of God's people on his presence with them and his power that is for them. Joshua that day was just a man. He wasn't superhuman. He wasn't super spiritual, although he was God's man. But his job was not to draw attention to himself, but to focus the eyes, the hearts, the minds of the people on God. Secondly, the responsibility of a spiritual leader is to be the first to go where God is leading, to get his or her feet wet, no matter the cost. Notice with me that it is not Joshua who first sets his feet in the water, but that in a symbolic way it is God going first. It was God who went before them into the river. It was God who first set foot there. Leaders go first. So while we're thinking about this, I I want to just let you know and be assured that I and the other leaders of this church will be leading the way and going first in our financial commitments to Vision Next. We're gonna sacrifice first. And, and we will go public with that total amount of our combined commitment a week ahead of asking you to make yours. You see, God is, is in the business of making a way for us where there seems to be no way. But he often waits for us, doesn't he, to step out in faith before he allows us to see the way that he has opened for us so that we're able to pass through. God is into people raising. He's into faith development, faith nurture, faith expansion, faith growth. And so he waits. He gives a command, he waits. And as we step forward, he opens the way. In verses 9 to 13, he says, this then is how you will know. This is how you will know. Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. I love the fact that Joshua says, listen to the words of the Lord your God. Not listen to me. Listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know. Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and the Mosquito Bites, and the Stalagtites, and the Uptites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. 
And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. See, what the Israelites were about to experience required their full confidence with regard to two points of potential fear and anxiety. First, they needed to know that God was among them, that he was going before them, that he was with them and for them. Second, they needed the confidence that that once they made it across the river, God would continue going before them to drive out the peoples who occupied the land as he had promised. Because the thinking person that day realized that as wide as and, and as intimidating as this river is, the battles that lie ahead of us with the peoples of the land make, this, make the problem of this river pale in comparison. These people groups are identified in verse 10. The Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, seven people groups may not be all of the people groups, may be representative of the people groups. There are seven listed. Seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. And God is saying in in that number of seven nations, I'm going to drive them all out. If you will follow me, I will drive them all out. I'm giving you the land. It's going to be yours. The Israelites needed to know that God was with them, that he was for them, that he would overcome, completely drive out before them any and every point of resistance that was raised against them. They still had to cross and take possession of the land, but as they did, God would go before them. That would be the lesson of the river. Joshua wanted the entire nation of Israel to understand who their God was. And as I've been studying this passage, there's something that emerged from it that I I don't want you to miss because there's a, a progression in this passage with regard to the identity of the God of Israel. Listen to the language the writer uses. In verse seven, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. And whenever you see the word Lord spelled with a capital L and and O-R-D in smaller caps in your Bible, that's always representative of the word Yahweh, the, the name of the covenant God of Israel. The eternal I am. In verse 9, he is the Lord your God. The Lord your God. The God who chose Israel out of all of the nations of the earth to be his very own. In Exodus 19, verse 5, is this promise, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you, Israel, shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. 
for all the earth is mine. I attended a Jewish wedding several years ago. It wasn't a Jewish wedding, but it was a wedding involving Jews. My friend Joel Goldberg, who lives in Netanya, Israel, married a, a Scottish girl, Leela Wah, from here in Olympia. And I'll never forget the, the blessing that Joel's brother gave to Leela during the wedding ceremony. He said, Leela, you are blessed uniquely because out of all of the daughters of Israel, Joel chose you. Out of all the daughters of Israel, Joel chose you. And God says to Israel, out of all of the nations, I chose you. Not because you're great, not because you're powerful, not because you're particularly obedient, because you ain't. But I chose you in my own wisdom, in my sovereign will and my love. I chose you, Israel, to be mine. He is the Lord, your God. And then in verse 10, he is the living God, the living God. Psalm 115 picks this up, verses two through eight. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. The title living God indicates not only that God is alive in contrast with the the dead and dumb idols of the pagan nations, but that he is the life-giving God. He is the life-giving God. The word literally means he is the fountain of life who who not only gives life to our mortal bodies, but but to our souls and, and vitality to our days. The God of Israel is a God who overflows with life. Finally, in verses 11 and 13, he is the Lord of all the earth. Psalm 96, verses four and five, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And Joshua is reminding the people of Israel this day as they're about to do something really risky, as they're preparing to take a step of faith that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Lord of all the earth, is not just a provincial God. He's not merely a territorial God, but the creator God of the heavens and the earth and whose power and authority are universal and unlimited by natural or political boundaries. When you go across the river into the land, you need not fear their gods. All the gods of the nations are idols, the Bible says. Know that as you cross over, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. Well, there were some other folks that needed to be shown that day uh, who Yahweh, the Lord of, or the God of Israel, is they were on the other side of the river behind the fortified walls of Jericho 
It had not escaped their notice that this massive nation was coming their way. In chapter 2, it is recorded that Joshua had sent two spies into Jericho to gather reconnaissance. And while they were there, they stayed in the home of a woman named Rahab, whose apartment faced outward uh, from the wall of the city. Why didn't she expose them and have them arrested? The answer is because of what she knew had already happened and therefore what was about to happen. Joshua 2, beginning at verse 8, before the men lay down, they were, they were spending the night on the roof of her home, hidden under some flax. She came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard about it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The woman had never read the Bible. But she understood who God is, the God of Israel is, through what he had done. Those three significant stories from the recent history of Israel had made their way to the ears of the inhabitants of the land that God was about to give to Israel. The story of their miraculous crossing of, through the Red Sea on, the, on dry ground and, and then the respective defeats of the kingdoms of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan. And these two guys, these were bad dudes. They were like the heavyweight champions of the world at least that region of the world. They were powerful warlords who had been considered undefeatable. But the Israelites annihilated both of them and their kingdoms, plundered their cities, left no survivors. You can read those stories in Numbers 21 and greater detail in Deuteronomy 2 and 3. The king of Jericho and his generals and their fighting men, the inhabitants of that great fortified city that looked impregnable, were paralyzed with fear because now the entire nation of Israel stood on the opposite banks of the river, poised to cross over. No doubt the king of Jericho had posted lookouts on the wall who were witnessing the preparations on the other side. They were all about to have their own experience of the power of the God of Israel. In verses 14 to 16, God told Joshua, the Lord will stop the river's flow. The Lord will stop the river's flow. Beginning of verse 14, so when the people set out from their tents, to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. 
the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. Now, if I had been one of the priests, again, carrying the ark that day, here's the thought that might have been running through my mind. Here I am carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth on my shoulders for everyone to see and to follow. I'm starting to get the picture that something big might be about to happen. Joshua told us all, told all of us yesterday that God was gonna do wonders among us today. Is this it? Is this the moment? This flooded river is big, it is wide, it is deep, it is swift, it is muddy. What if nothing miraculous happens? when I step into the river? What if it's all hype? What if, what if Joshua missed it? What if this is just something that he made up? This thing on our shoulders is heavy. So if God doesn't do something about this water, I, I can tell you the first thing that's gonna happen, we're all gonna drown. And that's always, isn't it, the challenge of unbelief for all of us? But at the first touch of the feet of those priests, here's what happened. 20 miles upriver, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. I did a little research this week on this place, this place called Adam or Adam. There's a in that place, there is a, a tell, which is a, a hill on which cities were built and then destroyed and built up again on top of that, and those were destroyed. And, and over time, many cities stood there at Adam. Zarethan, the other place that's referenced this beside Adam, is a, a mountain peak, and there's a community that's associated with the mountain peak. But here's, what I, here's where I'm going in my mind. Could someone, could someone reasonably say, well, hey, there was just a landslide that blocked the river. Or there was a log jam coming down from Galilee that, that blocked the river in that place. Well, if you look at photos today, there aren't very many trees, although in fact there were in those days, there were trees. There's still trees, the cedars of Lebanon to the north. Uh, as you go to the north of Israel, you begin to see more and more forest. But what I saw in the photos of this place called Adam is a very, very wide valley. Not a place where landslides happen that block the river. It says that the waters would stand up in a heap. It's the same language that was used of the waters in the Red, of the Red Sea. That they stood up in a heap. And I went, wait a minute, water doesn't stand up. I've never in my life seen water other than ice standing up. 
water spreads out. Here it says it stood up in a heap. People often look at stories like this and they say, well, that's just mythology. Those are just, you know, fairy tales made to deceive those who are weak and religious. But but here's my answer to all of that. After, After in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it's all downhill from there. So it's interesting that people who, who say, well, God, God created the heavens and the earth and they're strident in their arguments about creation versus evolution and all of that, but then they wonder, could God make water stand up? It's all downhill from creation. God can do what he pleases. See, I'm reminded of one of the truly useful inventions of the past decade or so, the, the motion detector light switch. Awesome stuff. Enormous energy saver because when you walk into a room equipped with one of them, the light comes on. When you walk out of the room, not much later, the light goes off. You don't have to worry about your kids turning on lights and turning them off. They they do it for themselves. You come home from the grocery store with two bags of groceries in your arm. You push the door open. You don't have to fumble for the light switch. It's great stuff. Well, think about this now. The wiring is in the walls. You don't look at the wiring. You don't see the wiring. Wiring's kind of ugly. But it's there in the walls. All the power is there. The power source is present and available. You can count on it, though you don't see it. But here's what happens. When motion is detected... When motion is detected, power is revealed. When motion is detected, power is revealed. When God parted the Red Sea, he used a strong wind that it says in Exodus 14, blew the whole night before. And God said to Moses, Moses, lift up your staff, stretch it out over the water. And when Moses lifted his staff, the wind began to blow. And sometime later, when he lowered his staff, the waters flowed back and drowned the entire Egyptian army. But when Israel crossed the Jordan River, It wasn't the obedient arm of a leader that brought about the miracle. It was the obedient feet of the people. When motion was detected, power was revealed. And it's true for us today that unless we are willing to step out by faith in obedience to God's word, in responsiveness to his call on our lives, God will never open the way for us. When motion is detected, power is revealed. Finally, God says, pass over next to Jericho. Pass over next to Jericho. 
Joshua 3, 16 to 17, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nations finished passing, until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Yeehaw. Isaiah 43, 1 to 2, there's, there's this great promise. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Now check this out in the first verse of chapter five. It says there, as soon as the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. See, when when God's people get obedient to the command and promise of God, all the world will be amazed. And God will be exalted, even among the nations. The Jordan River experience depended on two basic factors the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth going ahead of Israel into the Jordan, it says. Into the Jordan. It was God who went before Israel into the Jordan. And then secondly, the trusting, obedient feet of his people following him where he was leading. You know, there is in this story a a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus Christ. And what the ark was to Israel, Christ is in many ways to us, and so, so much more than that. But follow me here. When Jesus dipped his feet into the river of death, When he went before us into death, the waters of the river receded. The power of the river was taken away. So that anyone who trusts in Christ, anyone who would follow him, anyone who who would take the risk of surrendering their lives and, and following Jesus passes through the water of death on dry ground. When Jesus died, he carried with him into that death everyone who would ever trust in him. And when he was raised from the dead, when he set foot on the other side of death, he brought us with him into eternal life. But a personal decision must be made to trust to obey, to to follow. Your faith 
will be revealed by your feet. And today, Jesus is again inviting you to cross over from death into life by surrendering your life to him, trusting that what he accomplished through his death and his burial and his resurrection on your behalf was sufficient to defeat the power that sin and death has over you. And then, and then you simply ask God to apply all of that to you. You don't have to understand the wiring in the wall. You simply have to say, Lord, here I am. Apply all of that to me and include me in your family. Your faith will be revealed by your feet. When motion is detected, power is revealed. When you choose by faith to follow, here's what God will do. He will reveal to you his presence in your life, his power for your life in ways that you've never experienced before. In a moment, our band is going to come and lead us in one last song, and I'm going to invite the band to come now. During that song, I'm going to stand right there. Some of you today are on the brink. You're looking at this Christianity thing. You're considering trusting Christ as your Savior. I want to encourage you to make today the day. And I'm going to invite you to stand up and just walk up and stand with me during this song as an indication of that. And then after the song, I'd like to be able to pray with you. Your faith will be revealed by your feet. And church, God is is inviting us, inviting you into new experiences of his power and his provision. Let me ask you, will we have the willingness to follow him through the obstacles, the obvious obstacles that lie ahead of us so that in the end he gets the glory and we don't miss out on any of the miracles that he wants to show us. When motion is detected, power will be revealed. So let me make one more invitation before I close. Today you may be here and you're already a believer, but you'd like prayer for faith and for courage to follow the Lord obediently through an obstacle that is ahead of you, an obstacle you may be facing in your own life. I want to invite you to to come as well. Your faith will be revealed by your feet. You come and we'll pray for you today as well. Let me pray. Father God, don't let us miss out on anything that you have to show us. Lord, we want to consecrate ourselves today so that we can experience the wonders of tomorrow. And Lord, we acknowledge that uh, our faith is revealed by our feet because no one 
in all of scripture has ever been pointed to as a person of faith who didn't do something about it. So God, today we pray that you would give us the courage, give us the faith, give us the power, even the common sense to follow you, Lord, where you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.